Blog Talk Radio. Chilling for these just see arms and things like that. How honor to do this shit at the head, pun the body of the gully get you near. I'm so glad for be the horse. This is a gully get you rid of radio station. This shit the queen quit. So glad if it did with honor one more again. Will we the key up listening to the living legacy and the pay ancestral homage? So glad the honor chilling to tune in. Happy Labor Day and things like that. We hope that everything that going honor with this shall Labor Day. So look, your honey, chillin'. We know we've been a lee while since we've been funny and thing like that. But I've been a labor for truth. We've been a get work and thing done and thing like that for the Gullah Kitchen Nation all over. So that's why we invent the offer for the Mondays and thing like that for crack with teeth with honey, chillin'. But we figure we have to come on back here, pun this your annual celebration for the Labor Day, like we to try for do. And thanks for let Hunter know what we the going on for true. So we say thank you, thank you to all the Hunter children who have been tuning into the archive and things like that while we have been on you. But we're so glad that the Hunter children to join. We one more again for we show. And you know every time we start up, we want to dedicate the program. So we want to dedicate this program. And we step that in, thing like that, who just passed on into glory, into the realm of the ancestors and things like that. We want to dedicate this program to him, Samuel R. Brown, Jr., so let me take a moment of silence. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. We're so glad that all the hundred children join we ya. And you know you can always reach we anytime we in deep on the air at Gulgeco at AOL dot com. G U L L G E E C O at AOL dot com. A hundred to Gulagichi dot N E T gullagichi.net if you want to find we and you can always get one blog talk radio name and thing like that is so Hunter can join me in the chat room and thing by going to blogtalkradio.com and then Hunter can make our account and thing like that is Hunter have a have station well Hunter can make up the name so Hunter can be here as a guest and then Hunter can have a name and then you can crack your teeth with we while the show going on live for free and too much a thing free nowadays and things like that at all, tall. But you could do that. And we're glad if all the hundred children were to follow we at blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee. And Gullah Geechee is G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E. Gullah 
Geechee, ain't no I, ain't Geechee, if it a we, ain't no I, ain't Geechee. So we're so glad that all of her children still are following. We thank you, thank you to the Gullah Geechee Seattle Coalition and all the members around the world what to contribute financially to what we to do so that we can keep this show upon the air. And read of us, we thank you, thank you to all who to follow we at GullahGeecheeNation.com and on Twitter at GullahGeechee, on Instagram at GullahGeechee, and all the hundred children were to follow the Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio and the Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page and things like that. Because that is where we know, say, the show to grind all around the other rest of people because hundred children are sham. So thank you, thank you for doing all of this, y'all. So now, since the last time we've been here with all the hundred children thing to do this, y'all, the one hundred for no plenty thing we going grind on and plenty thing coming up. So before we crack, we teeth for this your day. And how does your story come for me? We will make sure that Hunter Children knows that this your week. We want Hunter for join we this your month. We want Hunter for join we this year Wednesday, starting at noon at the Centelna Branch Library. We will be celebrating International Literacy Day. International Literacy Day actually the Thursday the eighth, but we gonna have we celebration all day at the Centelna Library September the seventh from noon. To six o'clock, so noon, two o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock. We got different authors and things like that. Every two hours, we're gonna come out. Yet we the crack we teach from we book and things like that. And rather was purchase the book and thing. Support we financially, yeah, and things like that. Come for join we at the Centelna Library. Then in the eighth and the ninth, you can still go on your own if you want to be a writer and things like that. And they gonna help Hunter with free thing what they did to the library for Hunter to be able to learn how to publish your own book with free software and thing what they write there at the Centelna Library will open. And all the hundred children, if you got one library card, if you ain't got one library card, hundred can get one, yeah. Then we gonna have a library book sale on September twenty third and twenty fourth. You can come out and buy some more books and things, use books and all the rest of things for support the library system in Beaufort County. We a friend of the library, so we want all the hundred children for data and for celebrate literacy with we. The program free. The program free. So come out Wednesday, September 7th, to the Centelna Branch Library, Punch Centelna Island, and join we. All kind of different authors got there, some of the history, some of the fiction, all that kind of thing. Come out for join we. Then the next thing what are coming up is Gullah Geechee Unity in the Community, going to be on River Street and Savu, starting 11 o'clock on Saturday, September 17th, and Saturday and Sunday, September the 18th. Come out on the 17th for all the different Gullah Geechee Entertainment. Then on the 18th, they're going to have Motown music and things like that out there. So if you learn, you want to learn about the sweet grass, you want Yeti Weed to crack wheat eat in Gullah Geechee and all that kind of thing, come out there on the 17th from 11 in the morning, both days, September 17th and 18th. Again, that event free, okay? Then the one way in free, that we fundraiser coming up for Fort Fremont. Friends of Fort Fremont, Caribbean Night, going to be at the Celadon for Leaders Island at 6 o'clock shop on Friday, September 30th. And the one and only DJ Kwame shop for all mobile production, going to be spinning. Come out with your Caribbean clothes on and wind down one Lee Wall and things like that. It's going to be a good time in it. And that way we go raise the money for help with everything we to do for have everybody come down to the fort once in Town Island and Fort Fremont and Yeti and learn more about that place. And we gonna crack we teach more about that in the coming weeks and things like that. But for right now, I want Hunter Children for understand when that fort reveal, when it's your library reveal, it would take people for labor. And take people who been a pretty money with your mouth though. It'll take a shiny thing and a true meaning for everybody to work together. So for all of Hona children when they around the world and things like that, I want to make sure Hona clear upon this show. So as I was saying, in order to have the St. Helena Branch Library, in order to have Fort Fremont, and these places where we're celebrating in, to have them built, someone had to have vision. Someone also had to invest. So people had to take their time and their energy and their money and invest in these places being built. They had to labor. And so for us to have institutions today, someone had to labor for these places to be there. And so once a year, this celebration takes place. 
that has happened today. And I know for a lot of people from the Caribbean, like you heard me talk about September 30th, we're having the Caribbean night here on Ladies Island in the Gullah Geechee Nation in order to raise funds for Friends of Fort Fremont. Well, a lot of the Caribbean people I know are in New York right now. They're still a wind down and thing like that from the parkway, you know, and enjoying all the loud music and a thing like that there. And I got people from all over the islands of the world. Well, island people are often known for being people who work a lot that they go ahead and they have jobs because they're always trying to make more money and they're trying to survive and they're trying to thrive. And a lot of that has to do with the economic situation on many islands around the world, that many islands do not have the riches go to the natives of those islands in the way that they go out and off those islands and into the pockets of destructionaires and others that come in and tend to exploit the environment of the islands and the exploitation of the people. So in the Gullah Geechee Nation, we know that our ancestors got to the sea islands from Jacksonville, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida, because of their labor because of their skill sets, because of their ability to actually take an area and recreate the landscape such that there is a cultural landscape here unto this day that was created by African people. So here it is that our ancestors labored on these islands and in what's often referred to as the low country against their will. But as time went on, Many of our people during the Reconstruction era began to work together in union in a way that we worked here on the task system plantation. We worked in unison. We worked as unions, but we weren't called labor unions. But we have our ILA that's here, our International Longshoremen's Association that is in Charleston. That's one of the longest standing labor unions that was started by black people in North America, and the ILA supports much of the work that we do throughout the year in the Gullah Geechee Nation. We've had the ILA that is down in the Gainesville, Florida area, not too far off from Ocala, support the work that Gullah Connection and I have done going out on the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy World Tour. And they supported us being able to go into the schools in Ocala, Florida, because they wanted the youth there to be educated about our culture, our heritage, and the labor, the work, and the work ethic that people of African descent that are now referred to as Gullah Geechis put in over these hundreds of years. And all that is America now, truly our ancestors laid the cornerstones for it. It is our blood, sweat, and tears that are within the very foundation of what is called America now. But more often than not, when the time came after the time of enslavement, People weren't recognizing the labor of African people. Many, quote, black people, people of African descent, couldn't enter unions. That's why we so honor the ILA, especially every Labor Day. But there was also others that came from the Gullah Geechee Nation and became part of unions as time went on, including one of my cousins, Deacon Robinson, Deacon Willie Robinson, who is now 103 years old, still here on St. Helena Island, still comes out and supports the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, which is the sponsor of this broadcast, at most of our events that we have. He's even come all the way to Savannah to support our events with his daughter, and he was part of the Pullman Car Porters. Many of you every year have heard me say on this broadcast, if you have not seen a movie called 100 Black Men Named George, you need to watch that. It's very enlightening and it's also very painful. But we need to endure this pain to recognize and appreciate what it is that we have before us right now. And so a lot of times it's difficult to realize the value of a thing if you don't realize the origin of the thing, what's so special about it, why did it come about, and so on. Well, let me take you back so we can go forward. The first Labor Day was celebrated on Tuesday, September the 5th in 1882, and it was actually celebrated in the Big Apple in New York City. 
it was with the plans of the Central Labor Union. The Central Labor Union held the second Labor Day a year later on September the 5th, 1883. It just happened to fall. They kept it with that date. But in 1884, they decided that instead of keeping it on September 5th, they would do the first Monday in September each year as a holiday. And so then labor unions started seeing that as a workmen's holiday, and they started to celebrate that first Monday of as Labor Day in honor of the growth of the labor organizations or what we call the labor unions in a number of industrial centers. And, of course, many people left the South to go to New York to work in those industrial centers, to work in factories. So I know folks who are out there listening to me from the Midwest, Chi-Town, Detroit, all those types of places, y'all are like, yep, yep, because many people know that there was also some conflicts with many of those of the industrial age who made their money with the Gilded Age who wanted to union bust. They didn't want to have unions. And even now, South Carolina is considered a right-to-work state. So you have issues going on right now in South Carolina about whether there should be unions here or not. Fortunately, we have the ILA, so the precedent is already here. But we had the Charleston Hospital Worker Strike, which many of you who follow GullahGeecheeNation.com, our blog, have seen me write about that. And I'll repost that and I'll retweet it, the articles about when we went to actually finally put up a marker because of the Charleston Hospital Worker Strike. And they wanted to form a union. They still didn't have one to this moment. But yet people protested, people marched, and so that they could get what they felt laborers should duly, not to just have people being able to exploit the labor, which goes back to the beginning, right? African people being exploited for their knowledge and their work ability. And then people feeling like, well, if you won't do the job, I'll just fire you and get somebody else in here. i get rid of you, get somebody else in here. During slavery, I'll beat you until you work the way I want you to. Well, really working in these factories, people felt beaten, beaten down. There were no rules, no regulations. You could work for 16, 18 hours. And if you say, well, I'm exhausted, I have to go home, well, then come back. I'll get somebody else. So you needed these unions to start to come in so that someone could fight for the rights of the laborers. You see? So as Labor Day continued to grow, and as a holiday, it became a place of street parades to show to the public, they say, the strength and the spirit decor of the trade and the labor organizations of the community. And then they would have festivals of recreation and amusement for workers and their family and speeches by prominent leaders, generally men at that time, who would be the ones that would make these speeches. And then they would make addresses to the people who were in the union, and, and it continued to grow. And so, of course, it is a national holiday in the Gullah Geechee Nation and, of course, throughout the United States. Well, there's someone that I wanted to make sure that as we talk about the unions and we talk about Labor Day and we talk about its inception and its growth, that for us as people of African descent, that we never forget a man that was critical in terms of this movement. And this man was actually born in a part of our region, but not directly in the Gullah Geechee Nation. But as I got prepared and got here on the air and pulled up more information about him and someone I have a great deal of respect for, the late... A. Philip Randolph, which the A stands for Asa. I've learned over the years now of doing a little bit more research about him in preparation for these Labor Day things. I learned that the A stands for Asa. Well, Asa Philip Randolph was born in the region. He was born in Florida. But we can't quite stake claim to him yet um, for the Gullah Geechee Nation in this respect. We can stake claim to him for sure, but we can, o- we can only kind of not fully stake our claim like I'd love to be able to because he was born in an area called Crescent City, Florida. So it's just outside the Gullah Geechee Nation. But he actually ended up 
uh, living in Jacksonville, Florida. So we get to stake our claim in that regard. So, you know, I'm proud about that because I did not know that when I first started doing these Labor Day broadcasts. But that is the blessing of being able to do these broadcasts and the blessing of having the ability to read and comprehend and be someone that loves to absorb our story because I continue to learn more and more about more people who have their legacies here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. So I want to share just a little bit from what I even found online about him, that he was born on April 15th. Yes, tax day. Okay, he was born on April 15th in 1889 in Crescent City, Florida. And his father was a reverend. His father was Reverend James William Randolph. He also was a tailor, his dad. I could only imagine what kind of suits his daddy wore if he was a reverend and he tailored his own clothing. His mother was Elizabeth Robinson Randolph, and they were all a part of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church. So you all know there, again, is a legacy of activism when we talk about in our community that that movement forward, even during the time of chattel enslavement, we had many people who were great leaders that come out of the AME Church throughout our communities. And so here it is that, interestingly enough, both the wife and the husband, mama and the daddy, were both people who sold, all right, because her mom was a skilled seamstress and dad was a tailor. So here it is that when it was 1889 that Asa was born, okay, however, it was only two years later. Here he is in the Gullah Geechee Nation. So I am sure his growing up here in Jacksonville in 1891 is when they moved. So you're talking about a toddler coming to Jacksonville, Florida. His acculturation then came by being here, all right? And so they started, they were amongst a very thriving community now, that that time. And we have several books in our Gullah Geechee Al-Kibulan archives about Jacksonville when it was in its heyday. And there are images in one photographic book that you would go, wow, to see what was going on with and for our people during this time. That wasn't really that long after the Civil War, you know, that was truly part of the whole Reconstruction era. Our people were doing pretty well for themselves there. And so here it is that Asa's family, it's in particular his father, was very critical on making sure that he recognized that a person's character and conduct were the primary things, not their color, that the thing that truly mattered most was your character and your conduct. And then from his mom, they said that she was the one that always pushed the importance of education and also self-defense. Now, how often do we hear about the women, like myself, who try to encourage self-defense? I pause there because I want you to think about that. And if any of you all have heard a lot about women, especially from the era of the 1800s, that anybody has taught you about black women and self-defense, besides, you know, Mary Ellen Pleasant, people like that, or maybe Harriet Tubman with a gun, I want you to make sure to email me these women's names because I would love to learn more about them. Make sure to email me at G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. How often do you hear about the mother, a mother of African descent, a black mama, that they actually acknowledge the fact that she is the one that pushed education but also pushed self-defense to make sure that you protected yourself and you protected your family, that if anybody was coming to hurt you or your family, you put an end to that. Now, I don't know about you. But this sounds as gullah geechee as you get. Because I know I can tell you my mama and various other people's mamas taught us this. And not just because we were other girls, but we, they taught the sons and the daughters this. So folks know this was taught to him because it said that Asa remembers vividly the night that his mama sat in the front room of their house with a loaded shotgun across her lap while his 
father took the pistol on this coat and went out to prevent a mob from lynching a man at the local county jail. So a lot of times when we hear A. Philip Randolph, we immediately jump past his early life. We jump into the grown man, and we jump into him fighting for labor unions to be in existence and fighting for the men that were actually the Pullman car porters and so on. But we do not go back in time and say, well, what made this man the man he became? And it always ought to come from Hunter Gwine back to Hunter Mama April Spring. So you need to look at what kind of mama did he have, then what kind of daddy did he have. And that's even now. When you want to talk about the character and the conduct of a person, a lot of times, whether y'all want to agree or not, it may sound Freudian to some of you, you need to go back and look at the person mama first, then look at the daddy. And a lot of times, if you're honest, you'll say that child get their behavior honest, whether it's a good or bad behavior. In this case, it was an upright, stand up, protect yourself, fight for type of atmosphere he grew up in. So it's no doubt that he would end up being the one that would become the man that most of us, if we've heard of him before tonight, know him to be. And the man that was depicted that didn't even, he was so prideful, he didn't want to take the money that they collected for him to give to him for him to make it home to his mama's funeral, that the men that he was fighting for for the union with the Pullman car porters, that he, he didn't want to collect this money, take this money that was collected for him, rather, and go on home. He was so prideful. He didn't want to take that from them because he knew all those men worked hard for every dollar and they needed it too, but they knew what he had done for them. Now, I need you to know what he's done for all of us, but where it came from. Look at Mama. Look at Daddy here. Look at them together. Daddy goes out the house, Mama in the house, protecting the house, protecting the children. So here it is. He wasn't alone. He had a brother named James. They both did outstanding in school. They ended up going to Cookman Institute, which is in East Jacksonville, which was the only high school in Florida for black folks at that time. And so here it is that they say Asa ended up excelling in literature, drama, and public speaking. Ha ha, no doubt there, huh? And he also was part of the school's baseball team, which many of you who follow me on Instagram and on Facebook, you saw me recently posting pictures because I had the blessed opportunity to finally get out to the Negro League baseball museum, and I truly enjoyed being there, and there's going to be a lot more that I'm going to be able to share with you as my research continues based on what I found out out there, because my family is a big baseball family and softball family. I used to play ball myself, and so here it is that he was on the baseball team. He sang solos with the school choir, and he actually graduated in 1907 as the valedictorian from Cookman Institute. But now, after graduating, you know, at that time, there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of jobs that black men or black people in general could just get. So he had a lot of different kinds of jobs, and he did even singing and acting and a lot of reading. But they said that he read a book which I would encourage all of us to read or reread because I'm intending to reread it at this juncture in life, is The Souls of Black Folks by W.E.B. Du Bois, who, again, had the honor of going up to his home location this year. And, again, those of you who follow me, at Gullah Geechee on Twitter, at Gullah Geechee on Instagram, if you follow me, at Gullah Geechee on Periscope, you know that I was there at the site that is the birthplace of W.E.B. Du Bois. And so... Here it is, the soul of black folks convinced Asa, Philip Randolph, about the fight for social equality and how important that really was. And so here it is that as he continued to try to obtain a job, to 
do something legal, he was faced with the inequalities in the South and the discrimination in the South. And so he then decided to go north. Where does he end up? Same place where the Labor Day parades, the Labor Day first starts being celebrated, the Big Apple, where I just came back from. All right. And so here it is that in 1911 he moved there and, again, had odd jobs, but then he took social science courses at City College. So y'all who are my listeners who went to City College, y'all can go ahead, you know, pump your chest a minute, same way I'm pumping mine because you know you grew up in Jacksonville, all right, <laughs> in the Color Geechee Nation. And so in two years later, he got married. Um, he got married to Lucille Campbell Green, and so then she was a person who also shared the the focus on the political with him, and they got into socialist politics. And so she had money, and they didn't have any children, so they could not invest truly in this movement that they were getting involved in. And so when they got married, they started up the Shakespearean Society in Harlem, and so then, of course, remember, he was doing acting and singing and so on before this. And so just like me, I guess he enjoyed Shakespeare when he was in New York. I still enjoyed Shakespeare when I was in New York as well. And so he would do Shakespeare in the Park. They did Hamlet, Othello. He played Romeo. He played all these different parts and so on. And then he got involved more deeply in socialism. And he started to hear more about it from the industrial workers of the world. This particular group that he met, he met someone from Columbia University, where I went to school. And when he met this man named Chandler Owen, the two of them started to put together a synthesis of different concepts that some might call Marxist economics and sociological ideas, they say, of Lester Frank Ward. Um, And so their point was that people could only be free if they were not subject to economic deprivation. Now, I don't know how you could argue against that, that the only way people are free is that they cannot be economically deprived. I don't really see how you could argue against that. Because if we have songs out here, y'all, you have statements out here that, you know, money make the world go round. You know, and I've heard rappers and singers make statements along those lines. So we all know economic empowerment is a critical thing to the advancement of anybody and for them to, of course, advance out of being impoverished, to not be disenfranchised. Even when you look at the entire system of voting, most times it was it deals with the fact of what economics a person has. That's how the structure started even from the plantation era. It was about what kind of land did you own and what other property, including human beings, did you own that gave you the right to be the ones to vote. So a lot of you are confused about the Electoral College and all that. I give you some homework. Go study how that got created and who it was that originally had the right to vote, okay? So you can start to look at why him coming out of the South, knowing he left there because he couldn't even get regular just labor jobs. He couldn't get this because he was being discriminated against, and he didn't have just money to support yourself, so you needed some kind of work. So now why not get involved with people who are telling you a way out of that, a way out of economic deprivation? You know, I'm all about self-sufficiency and being self-sustaining. And so once again, we to this day in the Gullah Geechee Nation need to be economically empowered. That's why when people write to me and write things even on social media about being sad, like about seeing the Vice episode and say, oh, I'm sad about this, sadness does not rectify the situation. We're dealing with economic disenfranchisement of a number of Gullah Geechee families that leads them to be in situations where they cannot defend themselves in courts against people who have multi-million dollars behind them who can employ crooked lawyers to help them and who can buy off people at courthouses to do records that will now disenfranchise and displace families. 
and people don't have the economic wherewithal because of economic deprivation. So why not fight against it by contributing economically to making sure that if you come to the Gullah Geechee Nation, you don't stay in an area that's antithetical to our existence that causes us to be displaced, but you instead seek to stay with us, tour with us, eat at our restaurants, buy things directly from our craft artists, so on and so forth. Contribute directly to our institutions and our organizations that are Gullah Geechee owned and operated. That is how you help us. Sadness doesn't do anything. We ain't sad. We're fighting back. And we've only been able to sustain ourselves because we had the power and the energy and then the education that many of us have that we could now analyze situations and see where if one is not free, none are free. So again, that's why I honor and appreciate Asa Philip Randolph, because he could have gone to New York and tried, as my mom would say, to put out all the lights in the city as opposed to doing what he was doing furthering his knowledge and education and getting involved with people to now get into civil rights activism that emphasized the importance of collective action as a way for black people to gain legal and economic equality. So they ended up getting an employment office in Harlem and to offer job training so that when people would come from down south up to New York, they all they not only helped train them for the jobs, but then they started encouraging them to join any kind of trade union that they had a chance to be a part of based on what jobs they were going into. So he didn't just become the president of the National Brotherhood of Workers of America for nothing. Okay, this man or the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters for nothing. We only hear that part of his story. But that's why tonight I want to take you deeper into the more of his story that I'm learning and more of our story I'm learning because I now know where he got this fighting spirit from. Right, y'all? Right there with the mama them with the lady with the going across the lap and daddy with the outchona with the other rest of people to fight for who he does. And for stop them chilling. For try for drag people out Jonah and then throw them up Jonah and lynch them. So now, economic lynching caused a lot of death. Not just the physical ones. We don't think about that when we are disenfranchising our own businesses and our own communities because we do not have the same vision he had about us sticking together and working together. If my oppression does not bother you, then you are my oppressor. This is a quote that I heard and I put on Facebook and I tweeted. I hope you all will pay attention to this. So here it is that in 1917, Asa Philip Randolph and Chandler Owen founded the Messenger. The Socialist Party of America gave them money to have this monthly magazine, which campaigned against lynching, also opposed the U.S. participation in World War One, and urged black people to resist being drafted, and instead that they should fight for integrated society and earn them to join the unions as many unions as they could. So here it is that instead of that being something that was good, as usual, and it still goes on, do not fool yourself. COINTELPRO is still going on. Propaganda is still going on. I've had it used against me. So let me tell you, it is not over. Whenever someone is a leader and they're a black leader, then there's government agents and people who are hired by the by the government, commissioned to try to come after you and to try to degrade who you are, to try to denigrate your name in public, to try to defame you in any way they can. So the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, who I've spoken for, I got some people that I really like that worked here, all right? But the U.S. Department of Justice, wrote that the messenger was the most able and most dangerous of all the Negro publications. Think about that. Why would the Department of Justice say that a magazine was the most stable, most able, isn't that interesting choice of words, and the most dangerous of all Negro publications? 
I can tell you now why. Because it was actually educating people and empowering people. It wasn't just giving you a bunch of entertainers and what were they doing in their lives, like folks get caught up in all of this stuff on social media now and get caught up in all this reality TV nonsense and in all of those publications that are at the grocery store that's uh, tabloids that are there as you're trying to check out and you worrying about you can tell me how many kids somebody got and how many marriages they've had, and these people are actors and actresses. But then if I put up a black history quiz, you can't even tell me the names of of five out of ten pictures if they just show you the pictures and say name who these historical figures are. The danger is when people are waking us up economically in this country. The danger is when people are telling you work with your own people and be powerful. So I'm not shocked, and I pray that at some point the Gullah Geechee Al-Kibulan archive can find copies of The Messenger to have even in digital format in our archive because I would love to read each and every issue of it so that I can make my own assessment as to why it was the most able and most dangerous of all Negro publications. Black poets and authors and critics called it one of the most brilliantly edited magazines in the history of Negro journalism. So look at the opposite side. The black folks loved it and thought it was well done. And these other folks thought it was was able, because it was well done, to get to the people. And that's what was the danger. So here it is that a rift started. Why? Because the Caribbean Americans felt that they had a rift with the black Americans, the ones that were born in the U.S. versus the ones born on the Caribbean islands. There was a issue over Marcus Garvey's Back to Africa movement. So all of this starts to cause a problem, and the infighting ended up leaving the situation where the paper went into decline. So here it is that this paper that was started in 1917 by 1992 years, they ran it in the ground fighting each other over political positions, essentially, and then could not continue to get financial support for it because of this dishevelment. So here it is that Asa started getting into politics. He ran for New York State Comptroller. He ran for Secretary of New York. He didn't get any of those positions. But before he did all that, and I guess that's why he thought he could do all that, He got involved with the labor organizations, and he got involved with labor organizations the same year that he started his publication in 1917. He organized a union of elevator operators in New York City. I know some of y'all who listen to the show, you're too young to understand what I'm talking about. There used to actually be people sitting in the elevator that worked the elevator. In, in fact, I just had someone do that when I was in New York. There was an elevator operator in the theater. And in 1919, which is the year his paper, you know, his magazine closed, he became the president of the National Brotherhood of Workers of America, which was a union organized amongst the black people who worked at the shipyard and the dock workers in the Tidewater region of Virginia. Now, I've met people who worked at the shipyards in New York City who had been there, you know, way before I was born and so on. So it's interesting to know that he also got to work with them. But their union dissolved in 1921 because of the American Federation of Labor pressuring them. So, but his, so then you say, well, oh, well, that's maybe why we didn't really hear about that because it was so short-lived. But what we do hear about is the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. He got elected as their president in 1925, so four years after the National Brotherhood of Workers of America dissolved. He then got elected with the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. And so this is when they made a labor institution, a labor group, a union, an organized body for the Pullman Company, which was a major employer of people of African descent because we were the ones on the railroads actually taking care of these people, catering these people uh, while we were on there. 
And so a lot of folks were underpaid. There was poor conditions they worked under. And, of course, we rode in poor conditions when you could get to ride on the train during these years of segregation. Um, but also this was why they needed the union, so somebody could fight against the way that folks were treated. And so his big success came with this. And so he was able to fight to get the Railway Labor Act changed and so that porters were actually granted rights under federal law. That happened all the way in 1934. And so at one point, the membership in the Brotherhood of Pullman Car Porters was more than 7,000 folks, okay, more than 7,000 folks. And so it wasn't until 1935, though, that Pullman Company now decided, yeah, we'll go ahead and negotiate with the Pullman. And again, I tell you to watch the movie, 100 Black Men Named George. If you can get it on Netflix, YouTube, DVD, or anything, get this film, 100 Black Men Named George. And they agreed on this contract settlement in 1937, and so $2 million worth of pay increases came. They got shorter work weeks. They started getting overtime pay and all of this. This became a real model for other unions, of course, over time. And so Asa Philip Randolph continued to be part of the Brotherhood, and they affiliated with the American Federation of Labor, through the 1955 AFL-CIO merger. And so that's why you don't hear them now, uh, but that's what you would hear about. And so it is wonderful to have the opportunity to talk about this man who later, in 1941, he came out to speak on civil rights, along with Baynard, Bayard Rustin, many of you have heard of when you read about or watch documentaries about the civil rights movement, A.J. Musty, and they proposed a march on Washington to protest racial discrimination in war industries and end the segregation, access to defense employment, the proposal of anti-lynching law, and the desegregation of the American armed forces. And so he, too, like Dr. King, studied Mahatma Gandhi, and the tactics that were being used by Gandhi. And so he talked about having 50,000 blacks march on the city. But Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was the president, then issued Executive Order 8802, which is called the Fair Employment Act. And so then they canceled their plan to march on Washington at that time because that was done. And so many of the people who worked toward that march, though, felt betrayed because the order, when they really examined it, only banned discrimination within war industries and not in the armed forces. And so the Fair Employment Act was considered a part of the civil rights victory, but not a full victory. And so then they went on and they continued to push for this and protest. So in 1942, 18,000 black folks came to Madison Square Garden, which I was right across from, and many of you saw the pictures of me at the garden uh, recently, to hear Asa Philip Randolph. Remember we talked about the speeches he could make, that, you know, speaking that that's what he did, that he then started to try to fight again to continue to try to get the discrimination in the military ended and in the war industries and the government agencies and in labor unions, okay? So there was a number of things beyond the Pullman car porters that this man did. There was a number of things that he led that we need to know about, that there was this march being planned way before the March on Washington that many of us hear about every year, and we only then talk about Dr. Martin Luther King, God bless the dead. But this all was, this was what one might call a tipping point. All this work that was being done led up to the ultimate march on Washington because at some point in time, and Roy Wilkins, who was the executive secretary of the NAACP, and Arnold Aronson, who was the leader of the National Jewish Community Relations Advisory Council, 
joined with a a Randolph, uh, a Philip Randolph, in 1950. They put together the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, okay, which coordinated a national legislative campaign. And then when they pushed forward with it, Randolph and Rustin became friends with Dr. King. So in 1957, schools in the South resisted school integration after Brown versus Board of Education. Then there was a prayer pilgrimage for freedom along with Dr. King. And then, you know, we can continue to say the rest is history. There were a number of different marches still, youth marches and other things that A. Philip Randolph led, and there was a lot of backlash. There was a whole lot of things. He and his wife suffered a lot of hardship because of their position and because of their involvement with the socialists and so on. There was a lot of things that they had to endure, but they did it in order to make sure that those of us even today, that we would have better lives. And so when on August the 28th, 1963, there was a march on Washington for jobs and freedom, and there was some 200 to 300,000 people that went to Washington, D.C., which people consider this a high point of the civil rights movement to help raise these issues to the public consciousness. This was a major thing in his story. And then we know that in 1965 the Voting Rights Act was passed and so on. And so here it is that more often than not, A. Philip Randolph's name is not mentioned in the Civil Rights Movement, but it's mentioned in the Union Movement. It's mentioned by people who are parts of unions and who have fought for unions and so on. It's even mentioned, of course, by union busters because, you know, they would look at him as somebody who wasn't on their side of it. But I feel that we need to recognize him for all the work that he did. When we're talking about Labor Day, he and his wife labored on behalf of when they didn't have to. They could have just gone and lived comfortable lives. Like I say, they could have sat back and just been entertainers or be entertained. They didn't have to put their lives literally on the line. They didn't have to put themselves in economic jeopardy, being affiliated with parties of people who folks weren't going for, you know, in the U.S. and still to this day don't. They label folks with certain titles and then say, well, you shouldn't affiliate with them because this is where their belief system comes from. But again, economic deprivation, if you're against people fighting against economic deprivation, I don't see what the issue is. I would lead to understand what kind of person you are that would think it's okay for people to be economically deprived. I would think that you would want to fight against that, no matter what your stand in life may be. But here it is that at least there are those that even though it's after the fact and we know this happens all the time, person got to die to get recognized. There are those who have kept his legacy alive and there are places that we can go by and we have his name on it. Amtrak has named one of the best sleeping cars after him, the A. Philip Randolph. In Jacksonville, there's now the A. Philip Randolph Academy of Technology. There's an A. Philip Randolph Boulevard that runs through Jacksonville. There's an A. Philip Randolph Campus High School in New York City, and it's at the City College of New York where he went. There's also an A. Philip Randolph Career Academy even in Philly. There's one in Detroit, which is the Career and Technician Center. There's also the A. Philip Randolph Institute. There's the A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, which is in Chicago's Pullman Historic District. And then in Jacksonville at the HBCU Edward Waters College, there are houses that have an exhibit on his life. And then where he was born, there's Randolph Street in Crescent City, Florida. And then there's now the A. Philip Randolph Library as well at the Bar of Manhattan Community College. 
So these are places and spaces that, as God spares my life and this broadcast continues to go on, I pray that at some point to either be in some of these places broadcasting on a Labor Day or to have just returned from there to put some more material to our archive and images to you online to show you these places and spaces if you don't get the opportunity to go and visit some of these places and spaces yourself. But it definitely is a blessing to know that Asa Philip Randolph, A. Philip Randolph, as most of us know him, this elder, this sacred ancestor, is someone that dedicated his life to uplifting other people and that his childhood was here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. And so he was born April 15, 1889 in Crescent City, Florida, came to Jacksonville, 1891, he passed away on May the 16th, 1979, at age 90 in New York City. Nine, the number of completion. He completed what he was here to do, to lead. He labored while he was here. His labor was not in vain. And I pray that yours won't either. I pray your labor will definitely not be in vain. And I appreciate all of you. I say thank you, thank you to all the hunter children. We're tuned in to this broadcast on Labor Day. I know many of you wondered, were we still coming back to the air? Yes, we are. But we are in the midst of laboring on a number of things here in the Gullah Geechee Nation to advance causes for our people. So when I'm not on the air on a Monday, just say a prayer and know that I'm out here the same way A. Philip Randolph was, taking the word somewhere else to get us unionized, get us united, get us unified, and get us standing together. And I expect to see many of you with me this coming Wednesday. It's in Helena Branch Library from noon to 6 o'clock. Come out anytime, 12, 2, 4, or 6 o'clock to hear the various authors reading from our works and also come out to purchase books to learn more of our story and our journey. I then expect to see you at Gullah Geechee Unity in the community, 17th and 18th on River Street in Savannah. It's a free event, but come out so that you can support financially the vendors and folks that are going to be there and the authors that are going to be there as well. And then September the 30th, you can just come on and celebrate with us. Come to the party for our Caribbean night right there at the Celadon on Ladies Island. Tickets are already available and on sale. Continue to follow at Gullah Geechee on Twitter. Follow GullahGeecheeNation.com, and you can see all these different events on our blog. And you can also follow Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook and Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio on Facebook as well. I am out and about and back on the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy World Tour. If you're interested in I and the Gullah Connection coming to your city this year or 2017, because we are already booking 2017, make sure to email G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com, GullGeeco at AOL.com, and you can also go to www.QueenQuet, and Quet is Q-U-E-T, Dot com and you can get more details on booking. And so we definitely appreciate everyone who has supported our journey thus far for our Gullah Geechee legacy and how we have labored. And truly, it is an honor to be able to be educated while I help to educate. And so I all the more honor Asa Philip Randolph for all that he did for all of his journey, and definitely for all the pride that he instilled in folks like my cousin, who right now did with we, and I feel a hundred and three, and he was one of those Pullman car porters fighting for the Union. Yes, like we usually do down south here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. What other side we want to on but the Union side? So definitely... Y'all keep on fighting for what's right, labor together, toil together, work together, chillin'. Don't you get weary. Great camp meeting in this year, promised land. Should have queen quit, head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. Thank you, thank you, hunter chillin' for tuning in to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Peace and blessings.